Welcome to On Target, the local search association's podcast exploring the intersection of technology, media, and local commerce. Okay, welcome to another episode of On Target, LSA's podcast on all things location-based advertising and commerce. And I'm joined today by Frost Prelo, who's the founder and CEO of Simplify. Welcome, Frost, to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Craig. Happy to be here. So um, Simplify is a kind of a fixture at a lot of conferences and events, but many people may not know exactly what you guys do. Why don't you give us a, a sense of what the company does and maybe a little bit of its history? Yeah, you bet. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, we were founded in 2010, and uh, we're about 240 people now, most of them here in beautiful Fort Worth, Texas. And our whole approach was that um, – is that programmatic advertising is, as many would say, perhaps one of the uh, biggest developments in advertising since Google invented paid search. Um, but most of the investment in programmatic advertising has, has been uh, directed at national players, at the big guys with the big budgets. And so our whole approach at Simplify is like, hey, we're going to bring uh, programmatic advertising, the super powerful advertising tool, to local advertisers. And that's really uh, what we've been pursuing uh, for that amount of time. But you, you have a mix of clients. So you have you – have small business customers, and you have national brands and agencies. Why don't you give us a sense of, of who your customers are? Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. So um, we see local advertisers really split into two buckets. One are SMBs or single location advertisers. Predominantly, uh, we serve those that group of advertisers through companies that have local sales forces and are typically bundling a group of advertising offerings together to, to offer to that SMB or local advertiser. So we go to market to the SMBs by powering a programmatic offering for media companies, so cable companies, TV station companies. Uh, TV stations, newspapers, local focus networks, all, all the types of companies that have local sales forces calling on the SMBs, and they're putting together a group of advertising solutions for them uh, that might include search, uh, might include social, might include programmatic, uh, could be reputation management and other, other marketing solutions, and we're essentially powering the programmatic portion of their offering. Uh, and then so on the other side, that's the SMB portion of local. And then on the other side uh, of local advertisers are multi-location brands. So these are brands in the quick service restaurant space, real estate space, um, could be financial services, uh, insurance, et cetera, where they've got many, many hundreds or thousands of offices, and they want to localize uh, their their advertising budgets to basically have both local targeting, maybe ge geographic or other type of local targeting, and local messaging. So it's really split. Um, we're about 60% uh, working through media companies to reach the SMBs and about 40% working with uh, the national uh, multi-location brands. So uh, many people have heard the term programmatic, and a lot of people know something about programmatic, but why don't you give, give us a sense of what it means as a practical matter to do programmatic for a local business? What, is, what does that entail? What networks do you use, et cetera? Right. So, yeah, it's a good, good question because uh, 
It is. So we primarily focus on real-time bidded programmatic. So this is uh, this is auction, you know inventory that's auctioned off in the amount of time that a application is loading or a web page is loading. And the real difference in providing uh, that kind of programmatic service to local advertisers compared to national um, is two things. One, you need to be able to customize audiences to local needs. So example I, I always use is uh, my brother lives in Palo Alto, California. The Toyota dealer there has got a lot full of Prius, uh, Priuses, right? So their audience there is their, their product, their audience, how they're selling their product is very, very different than the Toyota dealer here in uh, beautiful Fort Worth, Texas, where they've got a lot full of Tundra pickup trucks. So the ability to localize uh, the targeting to a particular uh, geographic, even if they're a similar, you know, the same uh, dealers of the same brand uh, is super important. And then the flip side of that is local is uh, is um, local advertising is is defined by high volumes of small campaigns. So we have uh, like eighty five thousand live campaigns running on our platform at any one time. Half of those are spending less than three or four dollars a day. So there's a whole host of automation that's required. We would have to hire an army to make sure those were all delivering on time and delivering performance. So there's a whole host of automation required to deal with these high volumes of tiny, uh, tiny campaigns that, uh, that makes it different than dealing with national campaigns, which you may have, you know, a few, few thousand campaigns spending uh, a lot more per day where you could put uh, human bodies on it. So that's, that's fascinating because the, the dollar amounts are so small. Um, how, how, how can you possibly deliver value at that low spend level for these, for these uh, small businesses? I mean, what's the, What's the trick to that? Because it just, I, I mean, hearing that, I, 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 my sort of skeptical brain says, well, how can they get any value at those, at those spending levels uh, in an auction environment? Can, can, you, can you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, so um, you know, so a typical CPM on our platform is, is say, $3, is about $3. So, um, so people, you know, if they're, if they're spending $3, we have about 1,000 impressions to work with for uh, – uh, for some of these smaller campaigns, and it is it's very important to make sure that uh, that those impressions are uh, put on the right pages uh, targeted with uh, with very precise uh, data so we're hitting we're hitting just the part of the audience that they want um, and to to drive I mean these SMBs are looking for us either typically to drive um, uh, either quality traffic to their website uh, or they're looking to drive foot traffic into the into their store and so um, both of those are uh, both of those are, are available you just have to have the tools we not to get too far into the weeds we use a very uh, granular type of data we call unstructured data we don't use the typical audience segments um, for for data targeting because we have a more granular controls on the audiences that we target we're able to optimize those uh, to a much smaller uh, spend amount than a than a typical um, DSP that might use uh, prepackaged audience segments from a from a DMP so, so let's talk about that a second because that's interesting to me. With the rise of location data, mobile location data as a tool to identify audiences and audience behaviors in the real world, um, this this is a this is a very hot topic. How do you how do you find the right audiences such that these very micro targeted campaigns can can reach them? And and how do you have confidence that you're actually reaching those 
those customers for the small businesses that want to drive foot traffic or want to drive traffic to their websites. Well, the, so the confidence is all in the metrics. So um, most SMBs use something like Google Analytics or some, uh, well, at the higher level, some you still use CTR, click-through rate. So at that level, if uh, all we can do is say, hey, let's make sure that we're delivering quality cl clicks. So we're getting clicks uh, from viewable sites, from fraud-free sites uh, that, that we're delivering. In an ideal world, uh, they've got conversion pixels down on their page so we can track the engagement levels of the traffic we deliver to their site, and which mimics uh, an attribution tool like Google Analytics that, th that, they might be, that they might be using. On the foot traffic side, um, there are a lot of, uh, you know, what's super important on foot traffic for SMBs is that there's, you bring a lot of data uh, to the game. Uh, there's some panel-based attribution capabilities or, or solutions that work really well for, well for national campaigns. So if you were looking at foot traffic across 5,000 Burger Kings across the country, that might be perfectly well, that might work perfectly well based on a panel of a million or two users. Um, but if you are looking at, hey, the Burger King on the corner of South and Maine um, in, a particular, in Wichita Falls, Texas, um, there, there's just not enough data to do that. So it's super important on that side is that we're bringing the, uh, the volume of data to bear to, to be able to capture a reasonable percentage of, of the traffic. So how do, how do you guys do attribution in a, in a, in a small or local business context? Um, in our, you know, as you just explained, the panel doesn't have enough people to capture a, a single location or a couple of locations in a particular town. What, what are you doing um, to, to convey that visit to the, to the, to the customer, to the partner that's working with the customer? Right. So we've been, uh, so our approach to, we're talking particular here about, uh, about foot traffic attribution, foot traffic data. So our approach has been, you know, very much an all of the above, uh, uh, approach to data, and there's um, there's lots of discussion in the industry about bids, whether GPS data or the accuracy of GPS data in general. Uh, in particular, the accuracy of bidstream data uh, of GPS data coming through the bidstream uh, compared to coming from you know directly from SDKs. Uh, note that it all comes from an SDK. Uh, in any case, and so the key is having is so our approach is to have access to all the main data sources of GPS data, um, and then have very uh, good algorithms and methodologies for cleaning out data and eliminating data that uh, looks like it is not delivering a a, uh, a verifiable GPS location. So there's lots of cases where it's not fraudulent data, but it's just because of the way the whole system works. The GPS location is being reported as you know, the center of a town square or the centroid of, uh, of, a, of a DMA or some other place. And so we just, you need to have sort of several layers of, cap of, uh, of uh, filters to screen out the bad data to end up with the data that you actually use. Right, so that discussion of, of location accuracy or the quality of location data is a big conversation in the industry and has been for you know, a year or two and will continue to be. What what ultimately gets reported to the end customer, the small business in this case, around foot traffic? Is the is your media partner reporting visits to the store business location? What what is being conveyed to them? You're you're yeah, capturing so the data. Do they get the benefit of, of that insight? 
Yeah, it's actually amazing data. Um, so on one hand, even before they run a campaign, um, we can measure, we store about 45 days worth of GPS data. So they could go in, if you're the local CVS store on the corner, or Walgreens, you can go in and say, hey, I'm going to look at this neighborhood you know, to the north of me um, and say my normal traffic uh, over a month of the, of the uh, users we're seeing in that neighborhood or on that block or on that street to my store, I might see you know, 2% uh, of those users visit on a monthly basis. Uh, so we report that. And then we also report of the users, now if you target them with ads, the users who have seen an ad what their visitation rate is to the store. So hopefully the people who saw an ad would uh, visit at a higher rate. And so if it's, you know, 3% are visiting over the 2% that would, would be the natural visitation rate, then we report, hey, here's a 50% lift in visitation rate over your natural visitation. And so that's a type so, of so metrics that they're, able, that they're able to see. And in addition to that, you can then cross-reference those IDs that visit to all kinds of analytic data uh, with respect to household income and uh, age and demographics and that sort of thing. You're, you're not probably directly involved in those conversations with the advertiser. It's your media partner that's having those conversations. But, but do you have any sense of what the response to this data is at that local business level? Are they, do they get it? Are they enthusiastic about it? Is this, uh, is this the kind of information they've always been hoping for and now they're finally getting a taste of it? What, what's the reaction? Um, yeah, so the reaction is, yes, they're super enthusiastic about it. I would say there are different levels of, of, of ability to digest the amount of data. We can produce a lot of data based on new users, existing, you know, new users, old users, people have seen an ad, people haven't seen an ad. And so, you know, our, I guess our learning from it is that we needed to make it, uh, is to get it to a lowest common denominator approach where you have a very simple approach that someone can glance at. They don't want to spend, I mean, I think the biggest reaction is they want to know it, but they don't want to spend 30 minutes figuring out, you know, what all the data means. They want to know, hey, exactly how many people uh, are, are, are these ads, people who've seen these ads uh, driving to their store. Uh, and so I think it's important to, what we've learned anyways, it's important to simplify that data down and not overwhelm them with all the data that we could provide. So one of the developments that's very interesting in the in the broader national market that you alluded to um, earlier is a kind of a cost per visit, or in some cases a cost per sale model. There's there's one case in which CPG companies are being charged on a cost per sale in store. So they're tracking the ad exposure to the to inside the store and then tying into the to some back end systems. Um, do you see What's, what's your opinion of these models, and do you see them becoming more widespread and, in particular, taking hold in the small business market? In other words, the small business says, I want to buy, you know, 50 walk-in customers a month, and I'm willing to pay some amount for each of those. Do you see that kind of thing happening in the future? Yeah, there's, so there's always been a um – uh, sort of a segment of the uh, advertising population that wants to pay on a cost per action uh, as opposed to, you know, to pay for their media costs and, and have it optimized to that, to that action. So we've always seen that. Um, and, and certainly that's, that's here in the, in the cost per visit, uh, sorry, in the cost per visit side. Um, I, our, our take on all of those cost per action in programmatic space, all media is purchased on a CPM basis. 
And so it's just who, uh, and, and, and so because of that, if anyone who's offering a cost per visit or cost per action solution, and we have in the past, um, is involved in, in essentially arbitraging the risk of buying media at a fixed cost and driving an outcome at an outside cost. So it, it does, I mean, I think the good news from the advertisers first is it transfers the risk um, over, to the, over to the provider, um, but they would typically... Uh, pay more for that uh, because they're paying someone. They're they're paying the uh, you know the network or whoever's providing cost for action uh, to to essentially arbitrage that that risk out. So um, we don't see. Uh, so we have not had a ton of demand or haven't seen a ton of demand from our partners who visit SMBs to move towards a cost per per visit. Um, the other thing that happens uh, in that side is you can is Depending on the data, actually, we, depending on the data, um, they can have uh, there can be disputes. Uh, it's very clear. We can show exactly what media we delivered on what can, on what devices, on what um, uh, uh, domains, etc. But on a cost per visit, there could be you know, hey, I'm sitting, I'm a small business. I counted five people, and you said you sent me six. So you can get into lots of disputes uh, along sort of the accuracy of the data and who's doing the certification on it. I think as we move towards the currency, and, and so we're we're in the process of getting our visitor data MRC certified. So as you move towards uh, you know currency with a third party certification, uh, that I think becomes uh, more to have a third party verifying uh, the visit data. That becomes uh, a more interesting solution to many. Well, it's interesting you you talk about the the potential disputes that arise because a number of years ago it may be as many as as eight or nine now. Um, the industry was sort of touting pay-per-call as a big deal, and that's how, in fact, Yext got its start in that market. And and people people were saying, well, people want to, you know, small business customers want to buy calls and not clicks or impressions because calls are tangible; they they represent a hot lead, and so on and so forth. But what 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 happened that that I certainly didn't anticipate is that you got in some of the providers got into disputes with their customers. When the customer started saying, "Well, I'm paying ten dollars for this call or twenty dollars for this call, and is this an existing customer that I already have acquired? Was this a, a simple request for office, you know, opening hours or or directions or something like that?" And so there were all these unanticipated disputes that arose. And so it's a it's a point well taken that once you start charging a lot of money for something more concrete, even though it may be intuitively more appealing, then the business owner may get into a kind of a granular discussion. Well, you know, prove to me that this is really valid or something like that. So that's 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 I think a very valid uh, a point that you make um, uh, there. But I do think that it's inevitable that once you have a currency, as you say, of visits, and that doesn't apply to, for example, service businesses. Not not you know, foot traffic sure. doesn't apply to everybody. Right. Uh, but but it's going to be it's going to be there's a kind of a gravitational force that sort of starts to happen around when when visits can be measured and when there's third party validation of that. Do, do you agree or not disagree that the market will move in some some way toward that ultimately? So I I. Um, I agree it'll move in some way. I think there'll always be a segment of, uh, there'll be different advertisers in different camps. Let me put it that way. 
Um, but yes, I think it's very attractive to advertisers, and I would I would expect uh, you know starting. It's I think that's primarily being focused on national, and often what we see is lo- is local or smaller advertisers trail the national guys by you know three four years, and so um, and so if that's catching on there, my guess is it's going to come to the uh, local or SMB space as well. Well, and your whole business on some level, even though you have a bunch of national brands and agencies as customers, is predicated on that idea that you can bring to the small business customer the thing that the national brand or agency is, is utilizing, right? I mean, that's, that's the, that's part of what you, you guys do, in fact. That, that's, that's exactly right. And, uh, we're just in, uh, we're just not seeing a lot of demand for it today from the SMBs, but my guess is, uh, is that may, we may see that demand uh, come up over the next year or two. And, and especially, so I, wanna, I mean, I really wanna... the, key, the key thing is, is back to having a currency to deal in there that everyone trusts and everyone uh, can bill on and, and uh, rely on. I want to I explore something that you, you and I talked about, uh, not today, but in a previous conversation, um, you talked about local programmatic, which is what you explained at the top of the call, and then another concept, personalized programmatic. Can you can you distinguish the two and maybe dive into what personalized programmatic means and where you see that playing a role in your in your business in the future? Uh, sure. So. Um so, uh, you know, local programmatic, as I mentioned, is the would might be, hey, the Toyota dealer in Palo Alto selling Priuses is different than the one in Fort Worth selling Tundra pickup trucks. Um, and so if you go to personalized programmatic, the, it's the user um, in, uh, who's, who's uh, the local Toyota dealer in Palo Alto is targeting will see the actual red Prius, used red Prius with 20,000 miles on it. Uh, that uh, is a capability that has been fairly common uh, in some segments and among larger e-retailers, but really the ability to do uh, dynamic, creative, personalized uh, has been not a uh, particularly uh, easy technology to use for a smaller or localized customer. So bring, so two things, one, bringing the uh, level of personalization down to the smaller advertiser, just to be, the ability to set up a personalized campaign uh, quickly and easily, uh, you know, for a campaign that's just going to spend uh, relatively small amounts of, uh, of dollars. And then, uh, and then the other piece of that, where personalization hasn't moved in programmatic really to date much, is uh, it's been primarily focused on site retargeting. Or, you know, so if someone visits a site, they see a particular product, they get ads personalized to that. So the lower part of the funnel, um, where we haven't seen a lot of personalizations, is moving to the upper part of the funnel. So uh, using third-party data, where here's a user who's maybe searched on a red Prius on. On a on on a different car website, and now Toyota of Palo Alto can serve him an ad for a red Prius using that third-party data that came along. So we have not seen it uh, personalization move into the prospecting world, and and that's the uh, thing we're actually doing now in auto, and and uh, we expect to roll that out across uh, other verticals, uh, or will be rolling it out across other verticals this year as well. Is is there any performance difference? in the local versus personalized programmatic that you guys have observed? I mean, in other words, does personalized perform X percent better or does it depend entirely on the situation? Um, 
I don't have those numbers, but the uh, on top of my head, but yes, we have absolutely seen that the personalized or dynamic, creative, even driven off of uh, of personal search history or what have you, uh, shows a, shows a lift. Our customers have been have been reporting that to us and, and on that side. What what role does location data play in the personalized programmatic world? What's the input there? Yeah, so the, the input there, uh, and, and, and this would be in the, in the future, we're not hooking up today uh, location data to that other, other than, um, you know, particular geofences in a different campaign would see, see a different ad. But, you know, for, for example, if you're, a, uh, if you're a car dealer, if you're a Chevy dealer, and you know you have um, different neighborhoods around your dealership that you, um, that, that you sell to, you might say, hey, this neighborhood is, is more um, looking at the high-end uh, luxury cars uh, that I don't know what those are that Chevy makes these days, and this neighborhood may be looking more at the uh, lower end uh, entry level cars. This neighborhood may be looking more at the uh, more at the at the um, at the trucks. So um, there's there's this thing where they could where they would basically based on where they're seeing users, then customize the ad that they're showing to to those users. So one of the things that uh, I think is a hot topic right now because of, of, of some of the events in the news is, is privacy. Uh, obviously, um, there's, there's the whole issue of the Cambridge Analytica scandal and Facebook, and Facebook is trying to do some things to restore confidence. And over in Europe, there's also the uh, GDPR initiative, which is going to take effect in late May, and e-privacy. And that will create some very different rules in Europe versus the U.S. around data usage, uh, consent, and so on and so forth. We don't need to go into the lots of detail around uh, the rules uh, uh, tied into GDPR. That's a complicated topic. But in the United States, I've seen mixed um, survey data about, uh, in fact, just yesterday I saw something about use end users, consumers, and their feelings about uh, data, targeting, tracking, personalization. Some users really are calling for personalization, and we see that a lot. And some people feel there can be too much personalization, that things can get creepy or that they, they, they don't like ads that feel like they're being watched. What's, what's the, the right balance there in your, in your estimation, and what's your sense of the, of the state of that issue for people? Yeah, so I, I think – users all should be given, you know, very clear ideas around how, you know, what data is being collected, how it's being used, and how to opt out, and what the, you know, frankly, there are some costs to them of opting out with respect to personalization of apps and other things, or maybe people have paywalls, but I think users should be given that choice uh, to, 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 uh, to determine which of their data is shared with whom and, uh, and make it easy. And so the big outcome, I, I mean, everyone's watching this in our world very, very closely. Um, so I would expect, uh, you know, we rely on data collected, opt-in data collected from apps, but uh, much of that opt-in data uh, is not, is, you know, people turn it on and they forget about it or they don't realize how it's being used. So I would expect those apps 
uh, you know, really across the board to be coming out you know, proactively with um, uh, more like, hey, if you opt into this, your data is going to be used for this. Here's how you opt out. And uh, I agree. I think some some part of the population cares, some part doesn't. But um, it's, it's it's I think it's up to the industry to give uh, give the transparency and, and the ability to quickly opt out. Um, I do think there is so there's going to be some self-regulation on that, uh, and I think you know I think we'll move down that path. Um, I think there's a good. I mean, this is a bipartisan issue in Congress, and uh, I don't know how quickly Congress moves these days, or or how what it takes to bring up this. But I think certainly the Facebook situation with Cambridge Analytica and all uh, increases the chance of some sort of GDPR type regulation coming to the U.S. Uh, won't be. I doubt it'll be. Won't be this year, but uh, who knows? Maybe in the next uh, next few years that will happen. Well, it's a, it's a very interesting and complicated topic, and, and, and we could talk at length about it, and maybe we'll have another conversation about the privacy uh, uh, issue. Um, but I think we're not going to see a lot of action probably from Congress this year, given the, given, given the, the, the challenges that we're, we're seeing now around legislation. Um, so one of the points that you made to me uh, in, a, in an earlier conversation that I thought was interesting was about the evolution of the market, the distinction between local advertising and location-based advertising, which may seem obvious to people, but I find I use the word local a lot just very casually, and it means different things to different people. For example, it, it has historically meant small business, which has not been the way that I've intended it or used it, but why don't, why don't you talk a little bit about what you see as the evolution of the market, the distinction between local and location-based advertising, and where you see things going in the next couple of years. Right. Yeah. So local. Right. So local advertising, I would describe as you know, suiting driving advertising to meet the needs of a local ad, of a local advertiser. So you could always, and you know, in the past since we started, differentiate between the uh, the product that the, the you know back to the Toyota dealer and Palo Alto selling versus Fort, versus the one here at Fort Worth. I mean, the big change that's happened just in really maybe over the last three years or five years. I mean, five years ago, the most accurate location. based targeting that we could do um, was really using uh, a reverse IP lookup, which you know may be accurate to a zip code, may be accurate to a city um, by by you know, looking at the IP uh, IP address of the of the user and, and trying to map that back to a location. So the advent of GPS based targeting. Um, has has really totally you know uh, transformed or will continue I think to transform the locate the um, local advertising world because all of a sudden you you can target users uh, to uh, you know 50 meters or tighter or you know call, call it 50 meters or less and uh, and so you can you can just the ability to target based on uh, neighborhoods and to drive you know to figure out which of the people you targeted came into stores um, is a, is a whole new capability for for local advertisers that was never there and then I mean really the you know where this is going is all the attribution related to that and as I was mentioning understanding for um, in, a, in an anonymous way for for businesses you know where their traffic's coming from uh, how often how often they're coming you know their neighborhoods that are that are in tying that 
that data to extent to purchase data so they know, hey, these neighborhoods are the ones where we should show ads about a high-end vehicle or versus low-end vehicle. So really this advent of GPS-based data has is, is been a huge change to the, the location-based space. So as a, as a kind of closing question here, um, I, I want to I kind of push beyond what you just said a little bit. Let's imagine that we're two or three years in the future and we're reflecting on the major developments of the, of the past couple of years, 24 to 36 months. G give me some, some sense of what you think is going to happen in local or in digital media and marketing broadly that people are really not focused on or nobody's expecting. Is there anything like that that you would point to? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing, let me put it this way, the thing that's amazed me uh, throughout the evolution of programmatic is there's always some existential crisis that uh, is going to kill programmatic, uh, you know, whether it's been viewability or fraud or transparency or something. And through all that, uh, you know, programmatic has been growing, depending on who you believe, 20 to, you know, well, the past more, like 30 or 40%, now still 20% per year. Um, and so, uh, you know, <laughs> the, the thing that would really surprise people, I think, is if actually we got beyond, if programmatic got to the stage where there wasn't, you know, a existential crisis in the press. It's just like, yeah, this is the way, um, this is the way advertising is done. Um, and I think, so to me, that, whether that's surprising or not, programmatic, since we've gotten into it, started off with display, went to mobile. Now it's, uh, it's taking over video. Radio uh, has some, uh, you know, radio and audio is, is coming, outdoor. So it's just sort of this inevitable march, uh, you know, against uh, this uh, sort of continual wave of negative PR that, uh, that it's uh, rolling through because you know, advertisers are talking with their dollars and, uh, you know, they see the benefits of it. So I'm not sure if that's totally surprising, but my, my view hopefully is like, hey, wow, what are we going to do now that, you know, programmatic is uh, there's, there's no more existential crises to talk about. So um, I, I'm, I'm tempted to ask you more questions, but we're really out of time. This has been a great conversation, and, and you've really helped illuminate how programmatic works at the local level and some of the issues around attribution. Uh, and where you see the market going. I think this is really fascinating, hopefully the first of many conversations. And um, I think uh, you're going to be speaking at, uh, we've, we're going to have two, two place conferences coming up in New York and in London, and you'll be, you'll be there and uh, talking about these issues. Um, hopefully you'll be there talking about these issues uh, in more detail. Uh, so look for those on, uh, on June 15 in London and September 13 in New York. Um, and Prosperilo, thanks for joining me today. Great conversation. Well, thank you, Greg. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of On Target. If you have any questions or would like to be connected with today's speakers, please email communications at the LSA.org. Have a great day.